listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I want to invite you to, once again, the book of Micah. Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets, sometimes difficult to find. If you can find Jonah, you're really close. Um, Just hit Psalms, head east, turn slow, and eventually you will find it. It's located in the back part of our Old Testament. And so last week, we made it through one verse. That was all we did last week. So today, we'll have a few more to cover. We'll actually cover verses 2 through 16. We will finish chapter 1 today. But we saw last week that Micah is from this small rural town called Morsheth. And God comes into his life. We don't know what he was doing. We don't know, in fact, we don't know much about Micah. We don't know what he did for, to make a living. But God's word interrupts his life with a message that he just cannot but share. Problem is, it's a message that many people don't want to hear. And so for 16 years, Micah continues this message to the people that he loves of coming judgment. But there's also hope. The problem is no one wanted to listen to Micah. In fact, we don't know much about him. We read in Jeremiah, and all of a sudden, Jeremiah, who's one of the major prophets, the only thing Jeremiah said about Micah was, man, that dude talked about some bad stuff. And that's all there was. But Micah, no one wanted to listen to his message, and I believe it's for two reasons. One, he's writing during a time of great prosperity. Everything is going well for everyone, and things are going great. No one wants to listen to bad news. No one likes a Debbie Downer. And so they don't want to listen because they're looking around, man, life is great. The second reason is this is a time that the land of Judah and Israel are filled with false prophets. You wanted to know what was going to happen. You went up and paid one of these priests. And they would tell you, hey, the future looks great. Nothing to worry about. They told the people what they wanted to hear. So along comes Micah with a message of judgment. Because of their rebellion against God's law. And their idol worshiping. And no one wants to listen to him. But this morning, this is what we're going to hear from Micah. He's going to say, heed the warning signs. He's going to say, stop and examine your life. And then we will begin to hear the early echoes of trust in Christ. And that echo gets louder and louder as the book begins to unfold. But I want to begin by drawing our attention to the importance of heeding the warning and stop and examine your lives. In fact, over a hundred years ago, A ship set sail from Southampton to New York. The ship was over 882 feet long. Three football fields this this vessel stretched. It was 175 feet tall. It was the largest and the most luxurious passenger vessel of its time. The ship was equipped with eight watertight compartments on the hull of the boat that would close if water entered, allowing the Titanic to stay afloat. In fact, it was often said that it was the unsinkable ship. As the ship was traveling along, people were having the times of their life. The first to ever be on such a magnificent vessel. 
dining with friends. But as the evening fell on April 14th of 1912, wireless operators Jack Phillips and Harold Buried started receiving ice warnings. In fact, one report came across stating heavy packed ice and great number of large icebergs, even an ice field. But when they looked around, and the weather looked great, the skies were clear, there were stars lighting up the sky, so the ship continued its course. But just before midnight on April 14th, that ship, as we know, it struck an iceberg. And five of the Titanic's compartments ruptured along the starboard side. At about 2.20 in the morning on April the 15th, that massive unsinkable vessel sank in the North Atlantic. And over 1,500 people lost their lives. So when warning signs are ignored, this is what we know, disaster happens. And we will see Micah today begin pleading the people, to heed the warnings. He's going to say, stop and examine your lives. But because the weather around them is great and life is prosperous, those warning signs are going to be ignored and the people will not stop to examine their lives. And devastation is just around the corner. So in your Bibles, it begins at verse 2. There's actually three sections. This book, this chapter actually, is broken up into We will see today in verses 2 through 5, he's going to talk about God as the judge. Then in verses 6 through 9, Micah will talk about their incurable wound. And then in verses 10 through 16, we will see about the coming conqueror. So I want us to examine each of these three sections. And then at the end today, I want to draw three ways that we should... Respond when we see judgment or when we see the consequences of sin actually coming upon people. So let's begin reading in Micah chapter 1. And why not? Let's back up and read verse 1 and beginning this morning. It says, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jatham, or Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria, the capital of the north, In Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the word of the Lord God be witness against you. The Lord from His holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of His place. And He will come down and He will tread upon the high places of the earth. And this this book, it opens up like this cosmic kind of courtroom setting. And we read here, first of all, Micah, he's not just calling out to Israel. Remember the northern, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom. And not just the southern kingdom of Judah, the tribe of Judah. He says that everyone, listen in verse 2, Hear you peoples, all of you, all of the earth, pay attention. So he calls for all the people, all the peoples of the earth. They are to come and they are to witness this courtroom. But notice who the participants are. First of all, the plaintiff, the one that has been wronged, this is God Almighty. He is the one that has been sinned against. But notice, God is also the witness and 
He is also the judge. So Micah, he paints this picture for everyone to see. This scene is like this courtroom. And God is the plaintiff. He is the one that has been wronged. God is also the witness. But he's not just any witness. He's a witness that sees absolutely everything that has ever been done against the plaintiff perfectly. And he sees everything that has ever been done. But he's also the judge that will soon cast down a verdict. And so here is the Lord of the earth summoning all of the people to come together to hear this case against them. First, the reader gets hit right between the eyes with how big Micah's God is. He is the judge of the world. And second, there is no place that his jurisdiction doesn't reach and the call is for everyone, all of the nations, to pay attention and listen. You in the southern kingdom of Judah, to you all the way in the north of Israel, he says, listen up. And they're going to stand there absolutely hopeless. Everything they've done has been seen. They have no answer. The one they have sinned against is God. He is the witness and he is also the judge. And notice where this judge, notice where God comes from. At the end of verse 2 into 3. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. And he will come down and he will tread upon the high places of the earth. So first of all, God is going to testify from his majestic place, the holy temple. That's where he's going to come from. That's where he's going to stand. But we know from 2 Kings chapter 8 that all of creation cannot contain him. But he chooses to localize his presence in the temple, in the holy of holies. And in this holy of holies, do you remember what's there? In this holy of holies where God's presence dwelled over the mercy seat was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that Ark holds the tablets of the Mosaic Law, the ones that people were to obey. And that's all the proof that he needs, and he's going to come from his holy place where his law stands. And he is going to come out of that place, and he is going to judge the people on the basis of the Mosaic Covenant. And they know he's seen everything they've done, he's known every thought they've had, and he is coming to bring his verdict. And the Lord, he's going to come out of his dwelling place. And notice where he's going to march. He's going to march on the earth's mountaintops. Now notice what's going to happen when this occurs. Look at verse 4. Those mountains that you stand in awe of, they're going to melt under him. The valleys, they're going to split wide open. Like wax before the fire. Like waters poured down a steep place so mountains are going to disintegrate and valleys are going to split in two and they're going to melt like wax and there's a lot of debate on why is Micah using such imagery here but clearly if mountains are going to melt and valleys are going to be torn up if everything's going to turn to hot wax plunging into water he's talking about a great devastation and I think Micah uses this imagery for a particular reason. I don't think he's so much talking about a, a physical earthquake, even though that is going to be part of it. 
I believe he's trying to describe their relationship between the God that chose them. But here's what's really interesting about all this. Everyone, everyone listening to Micah probably fully embraced this message. They heard that God is going to come down and he is going to judge and the mountains are going to split, the valleys are going to open up, they're going to melt like wax. They would have embraced this. All the Israelites would have loved this truth. And here's the reason why. The reason was they thought God was coming to judge someone else and not them. God's always been their protector. He's the one that's done all of these things for them. We are his chosen people. We have his law. So when he's talking judgment, he thinks they're all talking about someone else. But then the hammer falls in the next verse. Verse 5, it says, All this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel, you in the north. This is for the transgressions of Jacob. Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? See, all of Judah... All of the southern kingdom listening to Micah would fully embrace the message that he's bringing. Because Judah in the south did not like Israel in the north. They were a divided kingdom. And Israel in the north did not like, did not care for Judah in the south. So Judah would have heard this, especially this first part, and they'd have been unconcerned. They would have thought, serves them right. You know what? Those people up there in the north, they are going to get what they deserve. Those heathens that are up there, I mean, they are deserving what's about to happen. They deserve whatever judgment God is going to bring down on them. But the problem was, was that Judah thought God was coming to judge everyone else except them. And then did you see when that hammer fell for them? He says, yeah, those transgressions for Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, the house of Israel... Was it not for their transgressions? Is it not Samaria, their capital? And they're going, yes, bring it, Lord. But then he says, and what is in the high place of Judah? And it's, well, what are you talking about, Lord? Is it not your Jerusalem? So all of this devastation, all this judgment, is not because of those people over there. It was because of themselves. Micah is saying, heed the warning. Judah, Israel, stop and examine your lives. But they looked around. And they saw how great the weather was. The skies were clear. The the sky was full of stars. They saw how prosperous their lives were. And they assumed that meant that God was blessing them. But Micah says, no, no. The reason for this coming judgment is because of your sins, Israel. Is because of your sins, Judah. It's because of the sins of you both. And God had chosen. In fact, He had chosen this group of people to be His ambassadors. They were to live in the land. They were to live differently than all of their neighbors as a united people. But they divide themselves over kings. They soon chase after everything their neighbors are. And long, long, it doesn't take long before they look no different. They're worshiping in false temples. They're uh, partaking of all kinds of sinful acts. 
that even though he has chosen this group to be his ambassadors, and it says to reflect his glory in the land, but instead he is going to have to come and punish them for their sinfulness. Because sin always demands judgment. Sin, sin must be punished. It cannot be overlooked. It cannot be winked at. It cannot be swept under, under the rug. So notice what God says, because God's going to speak in verse 6. Therefore, I, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country. A place for planting vineyards, I will pour down on her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten into pieces. All her wages shall be burned up with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For, for the fee of, fee of the prostitute she gathered them. And to the fee of the prostitute they shall return. So first of all, he's talking about the, the capital city in the northern territory of Samaria. Because of their idol worship, because of their lack of sexual restraint, God is going to bring judgment, and He's going to bring this city down to its knees. In fact, during Micah's life, he sees this. For 16 years, he preaches this message of coming judgment. And soon, Assyria begins a three-year siege and the northern kingdom is captured in 722 A.D. For 16 years, Micah had been warning the people, and they continued to ignore the warning signs. So in 722, Samaria and the northern kingdom are captured, and the Israelites are taken away into a foreign land into captivity. But remember that the north and the south, they don't get along. Those in the south, Judah would have probably seen this and thought, man, it serves them right. Go get them, God. But even though Micah is from the south, notice his response in verse 8. For this, I lament and I wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Because of the punishment that is coming, Micah is going to go into extreme mourning. In fact, he's going to be lamented at such a time. These are not just a few quiet tears. It says he's going to run through the streets howling like a jackal. He is so grieved over their rebellion and sin. But why is his reaction, why is it so extreme? Because he tells us in verse 9. Because he knows and he looks at them and he sees something. He looks at them for her wound is incurable. And it has come to Judah. And it has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. He says it's reached the north and it is spreading down to us. And the problem is that it is incurable. There's absolutely no hope. There's no solution. She is too far gone. And that hopelessness is what causes Micah to be grieved. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do to fix their wound. Because in order for a wound to be healed, that wound must die. And there's nothing they can do. So Micah... He's going to go through this 
next list of cities, and it's really interesting. And we don't have time to really go real in-depth through it, but he's going to kind of tell the people what's coming. And he uses some, some play on words, and uh, the closest thing we might have would be a pun, or uh, I'm so simple, it's like the, the, the cheerleading posters, you know, things like, uh, you know, cage the tigers or... Uh, what was one I thought of earlier? It was uh, tame the lions. And so he's going to use these phrases when he talks about how he's coming to the cities and then it's going to spread. Look at verse 10. He says, tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in dust. And guess what their name means? It means dust. He says, pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir. Shafir means beauty. So he says, you inhabitants of beauty, but you're going to be in nakedness and shame. And the inhabitants of Zanah, Zanah, you know what it means? It means to march. It means to go out. But he says, for you, do not come out. The limitation of Bethazel shall take away from you its standing place. Verse 12, For the inhabitants of Marath wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel, Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath, the house of Akzeb, shall be the deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. So he uses these names and showing a contrast. The people of Micah's day thought they had everything they needed. They were loving life and things were going well for them. The skies were clear. They were beautiful. They knew no shame. Their feet stood strong. They were the epitome of these cities. They lived that truth out. But at any moment, the sovereign creator of the universe could change it all. So here's the warning. God can and he can reverse any earthly success. So then he's going to move into verse 15. He says this. I will bring a conqueror. Our next section, we've looked at the courtroom. We have seen um, all that has happened in that scene. We have watched how the incurable wound. And then he brings the conqueror. He says, I'm going to again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marsha. The glory of Israel shall come on Adullam. Micah says that God is sending someone who will conquer them and take them away to a Canaanite city. And for 16 years, Micah pleaded with the people of the north in Israel and the south in Judah to turn back to God. And in 722, Micah witnessed the northern kingdom being captured by Assyria and carried into captivity. And you think that would have gotten the attention of those in the south. But 20 years later, after Micah's death, the southern kingdom is captured by Babylon and they are taken away into captivity. 
So Michael was bringing the message. He kept saying, heed the warning signs. He kept saying, stop and examine your lives. And in the end, God took everything away that he had given to the people. He took away their freedom, their security. He took away their prosperity, and he took away their land. He stripped them of everything that he had given them in order to win them back. And Michael was pleading with them to heed the warnings, to stop and examine their lives. And so in verse 16, he makes one final plea. He says, make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as an eagle, or really a vulture. For they shall go from you into exile. So here's what we see. These were God's chosen people. They had the scriptures. They knew his promises. They had witnessed God's miraculous works. They saw him free them out of slavery in Egypt. They saw what he did to the armies. They saw how they protected them. He saw what he did with the Red Sea. They should have looked and seen all of these things of deliverance and faithfulness in God's works and his promises. But Micah, he doesn't just look at them and say, you know what, they should have known better. He mourned for them. Micah was identifying with his people, even though he wasn't participating with them in their sinful ways. He mourned over their sins. And so here's what we've seen today. In verses 2 through 5, we see God as the sovereign, rightful judge. The witness that sees everything. The one that has been sinned against and the one that can bring the verdict. And then we saw their incurable wound. They're beyond hope. There is nothing they can do to help or to save themselves. And then we saw at the end that God is sending a coming conqueror. He's going to send and he's going to strip them of everything they had. Take them to a foreign land in hopes to win them back. So what I want to do is from this passage, I want us to see three very quick applicational points. Three ways that we should respond when we see judgment or we see the consequences of sin. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to know the scripture tells us you are under no condemnation. You no longer have to fear God is the judge and bringing his wrath. But for those that don't, that is what is coming. But we also nowadays see the consequences of sin. It's on your neighbors, it's on the people you work with, it could even be on those in your home. So let me from this passage, three things I see that when we see the consequences of sin. One, we should be grieved. When we see judgment fall on someone, our response should not be to rejoice, but to grieve. We should not just look the other way and think, you know what? They're getting what they deserve. They made their bed, now they have to lie in it. They should know better. No, we should be grieved when we see the consequences of sin. The next thing, we should be warned. The people of Judah, they thought they were okay. They were God's chosen people. They had his scriptures. They had the temple. They gave money. They even had the sacrificial system. They thought judgment could never happen to them. So the next time we see a marriage 
in crisis or crumble. And we see someone caught in sin. Don't think they're getting what they deserve. First, we should be grieved for them. And then we should never say, man, that can never happen to me. Because we're always in danger. We should be warned that it could happen. So we should be grieved. We should be warned. And then the last one is we should be hopeful. Now, I know what you're thinking, Mark. I've listened to you read 15 verses, and I don't see much hope in there. I agree with you. There's a lot of judgment, not a lot of hope. But you see, Micah, he's, he's riding under the old law. He's writing at the time under the old law. It was called the law of retribution. When you read through it, you've heard verses. It talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And on one level, we think we like that. When we've been wronged, we want equal payback. But there's a problem. Sin demands judgment. Sin cannot be overlooked and it cannot be forgotten. And under the old law, an offense must be repaid with an equal offense. And sin can't be overlooked. It must be repaid. This is, that's the incurable wound. You and I, we have sinned against the holy and the perfect judge. And our sins, like the sins of Judah and the judge of Israel, they must be punished. I know what you're thinking. I'm still holding out. I'm not seeing any hope. In the end, Micah told them that God was going to send a conqueror. Someone that was going to take everything that they owned. Their freedom, their land, their possessions. And he's going to lead them into captivity and slavery because of their incurable wound. Their rebellion and sin, it could not be overlooked. It had to be punished. So God took away their freedom, their land, their possessions, and He took them into captivity. But He never forgot them. And He never forgot the covenant that He made with them. Because you see, sin cannot be overlooked. It cannot be ignored. But it can be forgiven. And so after the time of Micah, God had a plan to send a different conqueror. In fact, Micah is going to talk about him 700 years before he ever gets here. See, God sent someone to capture you and to take you away. Except this time it wasn't to take you into captivity, it was to set you free. It wasn't to take you away your freedom, but it was to give you freedom. It wasn't to take away you to a foreign land. It was to bring you to the promised land. Because all the punishment that your sin requires was poured out on that conqueror. And that is why we gather each and every week. We gather to worship the one that stood trial for us. We gather to worship the one who came to cure our incurable wound. The only way to cure a wound is to kill it. And Jesus did that for us. We gather to worship the one that came to conquer, not us, but to conquer sin and death for us and to set us free. We gather to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's how Micah says, heed the warning. Examine your life and trust in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we humbly come before you. We pray and we hope and that we have been found faithful to you this morning in our worship, in our time of encouragement to the saints. But Father, we're a people in constant need. We have an incurable wound. And there's nothing, there's nothing we could do to ever cure that on our own. But Father, you sent one. You sent one to take that wound and become that wound for us. And then to die the death that that wound required. But Father, you not only came and sent your son to die the death that we deserved. He came and lived the life that we could never live. And so, Father, we come to worship him, your son. And so we pray that he would be the one to guide us throughout this week, the things that we do, the people that we're in contact with, that we would always be mindful, that we would heed the warning signs around us, that we would stop and examine our lives, and above all, that we would trust in Christ. And it is in his name, the name of the one that sits at your right hand that became that wound for us. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.